And with that fanfare by Erin Copeland, welcome to this, the Christmas episode of Upbeats. Yay, Merry Christmas. Nandolishlawen. Don't we sound fluent? So fluent. It's, it's amazing how far we've come. It is. Do you know, I've been working on my Welsh as. Have you? Yes. I should say that I'm Jonathan James, otherwise known as JJ for the purposes of this podcast. And I'm joined by... I'm Harrod Smith, otherwise known as Has. But not just for this podcast, for, for most things. <laughs> That's good to know, Yay! Has. For the last podcast, we banned bells, particularly of the jingly variety. Um, and there weren't any carols. It was the definitely not Christmas podcast. Not Christmas. And, and now I know where you're leading with this, because this, this right here is the Christmas podcast episode. We've arrived and it's going to be spangly. Can I tell you what this episode is all about? Please, I wish you would. Well, today we're going to look at the wonderful musical traditions that we all love and adore. And I'm going to look at some British choral works with you, perhaps the lesser known ones, in fact. And while we're on that theme, for Braiding the Stave, we're going to look at Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite, in fact, the Nutcracker, the whole ballet. And the point being that we're going to look at the sweets that are often left at the bottom of the box. Ooh. Do you know what I mean? The ones that we don't often get to hear. So it's the Nutcracker, but not as you've heard it before. The lesser known nuts of the cracker. Indeed, that. Are there sweets that you often leave out of, a, say, a quality sweet? 100%. I don't know anyone that I can look in the eye and be friends with if they prefer the orange cream or the strawberry creams i think that's an insight into Haz's mind everybody <laughs> do you think there's a psychology of chocolate selection i think there, there's something about texture like mouthfeel of food <laughs> what does it say to you that i always avoid the toffee discs in a quality oh, street same yeah same those are left in the bottom for us as well but what does it say about my psychology please write in dear listeners but before we go any further into that analogy, I thought we could have a sleigh race. Because this time last year, when we were actually busy as working musicians, <laughs> as, I don't know how it's been for you. Have you been busy? Oh, no. No. Well, this time last year, I was doing a family concert in Warwick. Wow. Uh, with the Orchestra of the Swan, and we did a sleigh race between two pieces. Now, this first one is Sleigh Ride by Leroy Anderson. I think you'll recognise it. Here we go. Now, I know that was done on woodblock, but I can't help but think of those kind of half coconut shells from the Holy Grail and Monty Python Monty whenever Pine. I hear Absolutely. You know, horses. It's brilliant. It's the best. So that was Leroy Anderson and his sleigh ride, one of my faves. And it was quite political, actually, because in this family concert, I pitted them against the Russian team. So that was the American team, and now the Russian team, who is going to be represented by which composer? Can you guess? Is it Prokofiev? It is indeed. Oh! This is Troika from 
his Lieutenant Kijay suite. Here we go. It's already a bigger sledge, isn't it? <laughs> Quite a lot of pizzicato going on there. I was just... Do you know, I was just thinking that and I was thinking about how many times I've sat there thinking, yeah, lovely Christmas gig is going to be fine. And then suddenly you sit down, you're like, oh, here we go, it's Troika. And everyone just has to familiarise themselves with their strings again. Like, and yeah, there's a lot of miming going on. There's about one person in the section who can do it really well. Everyone else is just like, great, leave it to them. They can carry the rest of us. The inside workings. (laughs) Of a Troika <laughs> orchestra section. I can imagine that. You must get blisters playing that piece. Yeah, unless you're miming. Well, there we go. But I never do. I never do. So Of course you don't, Az. I'm you, the one carrying the team. You are the <laughs> ultimate professional. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Next time you see Troika by Prokofiev perform, just look to see who's faking it. Yeah, in the string section. If anyone looks like they're really enjoying themselves, they're definitely faking it. If anyone's concentrating, that's the one who's playing it right. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so who do you think won between those two sleighs, if it were a race? Well, I have to say, when the Leroy Anderson version came on, we were dancing around, having a little boogie. When this one came on, it's more of a fanfare Christmas. It's definitely Christmas, but I personally prefer the Leroy Anderson. I'm with you there. Mm. The Prokofiev is rather grand. And I do think, though, that that cello tune that gets quoted at the beginning i think that's the tune that we'll all be left with long after this podcast is finished i don't know about you it's one of the most whistleable tunes in the repertoire i'll let you know if i get home tonight and i'm the tune that i'm still singing in my head i'll text you and let you know which one of that is okay that is very exciting <laughs> the bet is on so apart from slayer rides what other musical traditions do you hold dear has slayer oh um Christmas caroling. I wish we could do that this year. I love a Christmas carol. One of my favourite whole things in the year is going to the church at Christmas. Usually, post-pub, pre-midnight mass, (laughs) that kind of time, where they do the Christmas carol concert. I think at that time of evening, I think it's not caroling, but wassailing you should be doing. Ooh. Have you come across wassailing? (laughs) No, I haven't. Do you like a good wassail? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Wassailing... I think in the traditional sense means to drink to someone's health, to someone's sale. Yeah, he does. While we're on the subject of history, can I tell you the history of the carol, can I? Please. 
please, yes, I'd love that. Well, thanks, Haz, because I did look this one up, ah. as you can imagine, and um, the word carol comes from the French carole, which is a circle dance. And so what you do back in the 1300s, or maybe even earlier than that, you'd be standing in this large circle and you'd improvise the verse in terms of words, and you'd just be standing there, hence stanza, a musical name <gasps> for a verse. Cool. And then after that comes the refrain, which is the carol bit of it, when you just dance in a circle and uh, you do the same dance each time. That's brilliant. So it was originally um, just a jolly dance, nothing to do with Christmas necessarily. So you could have a carol in June? You could. Just a get-together with friends, making up a first verse and then dancing around... Let's have a good carol together. Wow, okay. Yeah, and apparently one of the names for Stonehenge is the Giant's Carol, because <gasps> you imagine all those giants petrified and stood in a large circle dance. That's really cool. Isn't that great? Mm. Now, I'm glad to hear that you love carols, because it was you, Has, I think, that suggested this idea of going to the last first harmonisation of famous carols. Yes. Now, this is the reason I love going to church post-pub, pre-midnight mass because my darling sister has you know she loves christmas she loves a, a glass of mulled wine and she will always insist on singing the descant harmony in the first verse and everyone in my you know my local church they're not afraid to turn around and say Shh, no you're not right even the vicar will be like please it's not the time down you go down the octave and she'll be very sad until the last verse and then everyone looks at her and gives a thumbs up and then she can sing it I've never heard of a premature descant before. Oh, she's always like she starts saying the descant before she's even got through the doors That's of the church. Keen. That's keen. It is really keen, and it's come to the point now that if we do go to church for Christmas, the vicar sort of lovely and welcoming, but also sort of rolls her eyes like, "Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> here we go with here the premature descants." <laughs> That's, I've got to salute that enthusiasm. Yeah. And the other thing I'm enthusiastic about is the last verse harmonisation in the organ part. And often this is the chance, isn't it, for an organist to show off their metal and say, look, I'm going to put in a particularly juicy chord. Juicy is the word, 100%. That's on the table. I'm going to raise you this. This is Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending, one of my all-time Advent Carol favourites by Vaughan Williams. Now, I think the final verse on this, granted, is helped by a brass section and a full orchestra, but it's so very splendid. See what you think. 
You need a big cymbal clash like that, don't you, at the end? You had your hand on your heart. I thought you were going to stand up like it was the national anthem. (laughs) You really loved that. I did just swell with some deep kind of emotion every time I hear that. In fact, we did that in this very church where we're recording on Sunday, this, this last Advent, I think it was the second Advent Sunday. And it was so emotional just hearing it live because the choral line just soars it really does and obviously we're singing with masks on but even so it it just cut right through have you seen those singers masks (laughs) have you seen them i have what yes now i know what you're going to say but go and say it no i just what do you think of them well i think they look a little like muzzles yeah they do (laughs) they do it's a bit disturbing yeah but basically they are so much better for allowing the sound to resonate and and on the in-breath for the cloth not to be trapped against your mouth which is pretty important when you're sing- <laughs> when you're singing we're going to go on i think to a treasure swap <gasps> yay it is time for a treasure swap and i think it's my turn to start yay okay so you know deck the halls i do that's actually based on a welsh melody i didn't know that neither did i but after a little bit of research i found out that this is actually a, a welsh tune called Nos Galan. Have I said that right? Yeah, Nos Galan. Yeah, exactly. What does it actually mean, Has? I think it means, and it may not mean, but I think it means New Year's Eve. That sounds pretty probable. (laughs) Let's hope so. That's from our (laughs) resident Welsh expert. Please don't write in. (laughs) We don't want any letters. I think because we're decking the halls with boughs of holly and things like that, that sounds very appropriate somehow. Let's just say, let's just say it is that. Well, do you know what? In its original version, it was actually uh, a, an instrumental folk song, and it was only later in the Victorian period that we got those silly words they are, with lots of fa la 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 la
So that was Norskalan, as you've not heard it before, I think, played by Barry Phillips and Friends. I love that name. I think that's gorgeous. I love how it actually sounded like more of a dance, like you were saying about the carols earlier being like more like a round kind of dance. It definitely feels like more upbeat, <laughs> so to speak. So what you did there. Thank you very much. But I, I like it. Barry Phillips and Friends, thank you so much. I think I'm going to call all my musical groups from here on in, <laughs> you know, uh, Johnny and Friends. It's so welcoming. That, rather confusingly, was from an album called Colonial Christmas, which is a bit off-putting. A collection of instrumental carols and dances from colonial America, even though this is a Welsh melodic tune. So uh, (laughs) we'll work out the navigation through that at some point. But anyway, that was my part of the treasure swap. What have you got for me? I think we're actually on the same wavelength here in terms of treasure swap, because I've also chosen something that's quite folky. And it's by um, the Danish String Quartet. And it's not from a film. <laughs> it's not from a film <laughs> this time. Amazing. You've broken the mould. I'm very excited. I love the Danish String Quartet. Okay, good. Amazing. I'm glad. They're so innovative, aren't they? With all their <gasps> contemporary programming, but also the way they build in folk material yeah. into their, their general sort of programmes. And I don't know anything about, you know, I've never met them or anything like that. But <laughs> if you're listening, hit me up. But they are just, they're so cool. And I love the way that they've all contributed to the album in different ways. They all think, they all find a tune and say hey this could be quite cool to put to quartet and then they just make it their own and put it to a string quartet and I think it's gorgeous and this is from their album Last Leaf and it's called Shine You No More Do you like it as well? I hope you do. It just lifts the spirit. I defy anybody not to feel happier after hearing that. I'm so glad you think that. And also, it's one of the only tunes that I think I've shared with all of my pupils teaching them because if they're four and if they're, you know, older, they still think it's really cool and they still want to play it. And, you know, and I do as well. I'm like, wow, I wish I would be that good, that, you know, one day. I want to play it as well. <laughs> yeah. Even though I haven't touched a fiddle for <laughs> ages. It's that kind of music that immediately you can connect to, isn't it? A very nimble first violin part. Yeah, but he's huge. Is he? Yeah. Do you know, I knew that because I've seen them on the Tiny Desk series. <gasps> Have you seen that on YouTube? Yes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't come across Tiny Desk, you'll never want to stop thanking us because <laughs> it's a really brilliant series. Uh, original, quite independent artists, artists with things to say. And the Danish String Quartet featured on that with three of their, their original works. And it was just utterly captivating. Absolutely. Big beardy men playing really gorgeous, nimble uh, folk music, Scandi folk music. I love that treasure swap. Thank you so much, Alice. my favourite so far. Quite similar as well, in a way. Isn't that great? Because mm. we, we did not confer. We did not confer. There we go. So... This next segment actually came from you as well. 
because you wanted us to feature the Carol of the Bells. Now, this is purely selfish because I know you're a learned man and I actually, I just wanted to know more about Steady it. Steady on. Well, you know, fa- okay, fairly learned man. But I think everyone knows this song either from Home Alone, song, tune, piece, or from Family Guy or from different things or different adverts. Now it's on, I think, the Pepsi Max advert. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Do you know, I had a sense that it was, because when I looked this up on Spotify, other platforms are available, I went through, somebody had curated this Spotify playlist dedicated to just this song. And to be honest, I just uh, gave up all hope of ever reaching the bottom of it. I just (laughs) got bored scrolling down. There are just so (laughs) many versions. Yeah. Interestingly, though, I did do a little bit of research and it turns out that this song initially had nothing to do with carols or bells or anything Christmassy. Did you know that? Oh, I did. I just assumed it was written as a carol of the bell. Well, yeah, as the title would suggest. It was rewritten in that way for the English version. But originally, when Ukraine was breaking away from Russia in their first years of independence... This song was used as an emblem of their nationality. So these rustically clad singers, mainly female, I think, went out uh, all across the globe, to all corners of the globe, and they were received wildly, Uh, particularly this song, and it got an ovation, apparently, in Carnegie Hall. So it was immediately popular, the Carol of the Bells. And you can tell why, because it's so repetitive, isn't it? It has that sort of sense of momentum to it. Ah, So it's a Ukrainian anthem i think so we can call it that mm. so which version should we listen to now not the kfc version <laughs> not that version <laughs> so i have a rather interesting version lined up for you has which is by the canadian brass ensemble who are brilliant see what you make of this So they've taken it on quite a new path there, haven't they? Yeah, a, a number of little bells were played there. Don't you think? Don't you think that was the Canadian brass ensemble? I loved that. So innovative, not just in the arrangement, but also the harmonic turns and, and just new twists there. I was going to say, actually, yeah, the arrangement is really interesting because listening with headphones, you can hear the different, the ding, 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 coming from each side of the uh, ensemble. I think that's really interesting. I like that. Beautifully done. Thank 
So that was the Carol of the Bells. You probably have your favourite version. I almost played you the Pentatonics. Do you know that version? A cappella. Oh, I don't know that version. I know of the Pentatonics. Right. But I don't, I haven't heard that version. It is virtuosic. Is it? Really brilliant. Really brilliant. The Home Alone version is the one that I know best, I think. Do you know what? I want to tell you about this other Ukrainian folk band. I've got a friend called Sophie who, amongst other things, plays folk clarinet and she put me onto this Ukrainian band. They're called Daka Braka. That's the best name for a band. It is brilliant. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think it means give take in Ukrainian, which is less poetic. So let's just call them Daka Braka. Daka Braka. And again, I came across these on tiny desk concerts, I think. Mm. Funny that. And they just burst with life. Whenever they're on stage, I think they were in Glastonbury even recently and they got everybody going even though it was raining and it was pouring it was miserable weather but Daka Braka delivered the goods <laughs> here is Vesna a bit of rhythmic accordion playing there with a cajon and a cello it's a great combo isn't it that sounds brilliant. singing isn't it yeah is that typical singing because i'm sure i've heard a piece called caval sphere or something like that. have you heard of that before? no Ooh. wow <laughs> a momentous day <laughs> oh my goodness there's much that you know that i don't uh, know you, you would understand it anyway it's um it's far too difficult and <laughs> it's <complicated>. quite elevated <laughs> <laughs> just read a little bit would you jj uh, no it's um it's an amazing piece and they do like the singing style that was there i don't know if there's a name for that but it's like throat singing or, or I think it's just really it's that belt quality in the voice isn't it it's so bright and brassy yeah and there's some sort of yelping later on and it's uh, yeah just wholehearted music making I love it it sounds like a party definitely it does and I don't know how we're going to segue nicely <laughs> from this into the British choral traditions at Christmas because that's a very different sound isn't it mm. But we're going to do it anyway. I'm just going to plunge in. Now, you might expect at this stage for us to be talking about Handel's Messiah. Sure. But I don't know about you. I actually prefer listening to the Messiah at Easter. Do you? Hmm. Isn't Elijah usually played at Easter? A bit of both, really. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> but it can, you know, it fits both. Uh, obviously, mm. it's about the whole of Christ's life. And there's something about uh, the joy of the resurrection and just the music around that in the Messiah that I think just brings an extra shine to Easter. 
Absolutely. It's joyful and triumphant. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) So we're going to avoid the Messiah um, for no good reason, apart from the fact that it is so very popular. And I thought we could look at some lesser known British school works. Have you come across the composer Gerald Finzi? Only as a clarinet composer or a composer for clarinetists. (laughs) So he did the Bagatelles, he did the Concerto. Both really rhapsodic works that take you somehow to the heart of the English countryside, even though you don't know why. I didn't know that Finzi was British, actually. He is, yes. English, I think, with uh, an interesting heritage, but very much a man of southern England, eventually, um, and was very at home in the Cotswolds. And in fact, this next piece that we're going to listen to is called In Terra Pax, and the vision for this piece is the silence of the Cotswolds at midnight. And he's envisaging being on top of his favourite hill, just looking down a Gloucestershire valley. And he's imagining the bells of the church tolling for the midnight mass and the sense of peace that that creates. And as you listen to this baritone soloist who is in the role of a poet, just listen to how Finzi treats the words around the stars shining. I think it's really very special. So that evocation of the bells there. Tee-da-da-da. So beautiful, isn't it? So gentle. I actually didn't want to stop playing that then. I thought it was lovely. really enjoyed it. I'm glad you think that. I think Gerald Finzi is one of the most undervalued British composers out there. And so from that very gentle vision of a Gloucestershire valley at night and... On Christmas Eve, let's go now to someone who's very much more in the public sphere, and that's Benjamin Britten. And I can't get through Christmas without listening to Ceremony of Carols at least once. I don't know if I've ever actually listened to it at Christmas. Well, maybe I have. I haven't heard it yet, but maybe I just don't know the name of it, and I've heard it before. It's such a beautiful work because it's so lightly scored. So we just have this harp and a very nimble choir with a particularly prominent double treble line at the top which is often sung now by women as well 
And there's a whole controversy, as you can imagine, <laughs> around that. Should it just be travels as per the initial vision? Or was that, in fact, Britain's initial vision? I've had that question by none other than Harry Christophers himself, who often performs this work with his female singers in the top line. Um, and in fact, we're going to listen to uh, the choir of St John's College. So back to that boy sound that Britain so loved. And this is Deo Gratias, which is really the final number before the, the recessional as they proceed out. And it's rhythmic and it's bright. See what you think. Disco harp at the end there. Oh my god! And I was complaining about troika. <laughs> Can you imagine? Harpists are really tough nuts. They're brilliant. They must have fingers of steel. Yeah, they really do. That was Anne Denholm. Oh, was it? I know Anne. I know Anne too. Oh my god! How do you know Anne? We we did the National Children's Orchestra together back in the day. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, I think that was it. And then National Youth Orchestra Wales. I think that was it. I don't know. She's great, isn't she? She <laughs> was the harpist to the Prince of Wales. That's a great title to have. It really is, yeah. I wish we could have violas to the Prince of Wales. I don't think we'd inflict anything like that <laughs> upon royalty, do you? <laughs> if there were a, a member of royalty that you'd like to be sort of beholden to in that way, musically... Oh, my gosh. Controversial. <laughs> I don't know. Meghan Markle. There we are. Wow. <laughs> if we're going to be controversial. I think she'd listen politely and then be like... Wow, thank you. Like, <laughs> and she'd have to be nice about it. Anyone else might kick me out of the palace. So Sounds like a good gig to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not the being kicked out the palace bit. but Hey, any gig is a gig these days. We're desperate listeners. Mm. It's been a long time with this COVID. And we're all looking forward to... No more tears. No more tears. In both ways. <laughs> Absolutely. As I'm sure you are. So we've just been paddling in the lesser known waters of the British choral tradition, or perhaps you did know the Britain ceremony of carols. It is a favourite of mine. I hope it will be of yours now too, Has. Yeah, it will. It's lovely. Now I know that Anne's on it as well. Exactly. There we go. So that was the choir of St John's College with Anne Denholm on the harp part. We're going to now brave the stave. Yay! Are you ready for this? Yes, and I'm so excited for this one today. Tell me why. Love the Nutcracker. Oh, sorry, I gave it away. It's the Nutcracker. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's okay. I think we did mention it okay, earlier. Okay, good. Yeah. Why do you like the Nutcracker so? I love the story. I love the ballet. I love the music. I absolutely adore Tchaikovsky. End of. Anything that he does, pretty much, does still. <laughs> Anything he cracks out today. New album. 
amazing. If only. If only, yeah. Do you know, he absolutely um, hated having to write for ballet initially. Did he? He found it very constraining. A lot of symphonic composers find that, that suddenly when they go into the world of ballet, often to make some money, understandably, they find themselves really constrained by having to fit into the vision of of the choreographer and the director and all the creative team. Interesting. So, you know, Petipa was saying, who was the choreographer in the initial or the premiere was saying okay so I want a French dance in 3-4 here and then I want something jolly here and um, yeah that's tough if you're a free world composer is that why in some ways it's sort of fragmented like we have so many different little bits of pieces that are sewn together I think otherwise the ballet dancers get knackered don't they they must be there's always a court scene where they're all standing around the side just heavily breathing on (laughs) it Like just wait. <laughs> this is deeply unfair. Do you know what? I watched a part of her recently uh, based on Ravel's Daphnis and Chloe and that went on for about 38 minutes. And it was the same people on stage and they were just amazingly fit. It's full on cardio, isn't it? Full on. It, they're incredible. How often do you see the ballet version of this, the Nutcracker? Well... This, well, sorry to clang, but I actually played this last year. Did you then? Yes, I did. I really did. And I loved it. And I spent half the time with a crick in my neck because I was unprofessionally watching the dancers the whole time. Tricky not to. They're so good. They're so good. And you can hear when you're down in the pit as well, you can hear the sort of like the clomp. Oh, gosh, no, not the clomping. But you know what I mean? The, no- the noise from the point shoes on stage. And so you just want to see what they're doing all the time. That is, I think, the perennial dilemma of any pit musician, right? Absolutely. feeling that you're missing out <laughs> when you hear the audience just like laughing or gasping like <gasps> like playing chitty chitty bang bang and then always i think i played once where they couldn't quite get the car up in the air and i could just hear the audience like oh and i wanted to see what they were sort of booing about but you know i feel we should remind the listeners what the story of the nutcracker is do you think anybody needs reminding or is it too familiar now i think we should be reminded anyway okay so there's this girl clara who receives a life-sized nutcracker doll who comes alive at, is it the stroke of midnight? During the night, anyway, on Christmas Eve. And whisks her away, doesn't he, into this imaginary land. And although we immediately, in our minds, perhaps go to the Sugar Plum Fairy and the sweet side of it all, there is actually a darker side to the nutcracker. And initially, she ends up, doesn't she, in a, in a pine forest. Yeah. And there's a battle between the mice soldiers and the nutcracker. Um, it's quite brutal. The mouse king and the the little nutcracker. And isn't that played by the young um, boys and girls from the ballet school? Usually, traditionally, yes. Traditionally, yeah, and it's a big it's a big role to be given, like the mouse king or the king rat, whatever. <laughs> it is. But also, it's creepy because she's given this life size doll by her weird uncle, who like gives everyone else like a candy cane and then gives her massive doll and then yeah and then her brother's jealous and it, it's it, all together sounds like a horrible Christmas Eve <laughs> Drosselmeyer or Drosselmeyer, oh yeah like that. that's, that's his name he does sound a bit creepy I have to say mm. uh, but it turns out it was a wonderful gift yeah lovely so I want to start in the dark side and here she's in a pine forest so this is from the original score to the ballet performed by the Berlin Philharmonic <gasps> under the baton of Sir, Sir Simon Rattle. Rattle. Oh. 
had to bring you out of a, a beautiful <laughs> reverie there, I think, it has, didn't I? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I am listening. Go on. You're deeply listening. I love that. Sweeping strings, rippling harp, all the ingredients of a lovely soporific episode. Beautiful. And the snow all falling velvety on the ground in the pine forest. We're there, aren't we? We're it's there. very magical. I wonder how many listeners actually have heard that. I don't know. It's not the most famous one from the whole of the Nutcracker, is it? No. Sometimes I think it might get left out in a tran- because it's a transition scene on stage when something, everything becomes wintry. So people are just looking on stage or, and then the music cuts out when they've done the scene change. You're right. So it is a little bit like that suite that's left in the bottom of the box. Yeah. Sadly neglected. The strawberry fondue. <laughs> or toffee disc. Yeah. So I think the overture, however that opens the orchestral suite that's taken from the ballet is probably the most popular version of this work that we know adorning as it does so many Christmas programs I think this sorts the wheat from the chaff doesn't it because you often get amateur orchestras trying this suite and quite a few of the dances are, are pretty manageable but Coming to this overture, it really does sort the wheat from the chaff, doesn't it? Definitely. And it being the first thing that you play as well, when the curtains open and it's the first note, like, din, 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 it's just... It's, it's terrifying. Little, yeah. But I think everyone knows the notes, so you're just looking at everyone the whole time or just making sure you're in the same part of the bow or just making sure that you know, you look like you know what you're doing and then that's half the battle. Requires very deft playing from everybody, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Let's have a listen. Let's see how the Berlin Philharmonic do. Oh, I'm sure they'll, they'll be passable. Do you think? so classical isn't it it reminds me that Mozart was one of Tchaikovsky's absolute heroes absolutely you can hear little bits of like the overtures from the marriage of Figaro or the magic flute the really deftness in the playing and how dreamy it is when the tune comes in I I love it I could listen to this for the rest of the evening now (laughs) it's got lovely sort of buttery melodies in the middle hasn't it buttery yes absolutely and so what's it like to play give us a player's perspective um beautiful it's just nice that everyone gets the tune with Tchaikovsky even the triangle he loves the triangle anything that is twinkly he loves absolutely and you know I think famously and this might be apocryphal he had to smuggle in the Celeste once he heard it for fear that other composers might get there first because it's such a magical sound such an original sound really and in fact I think there are instances of other people using the Celeste before him we say either Celeste or Celeste are you a Celeste or Celeste person I say Celeste let's say Celeste Um, so he loves that shine on the sound and was so keen to keep it you know keep the powder dry for when you first heard it It must have been quite um, a spectacular effect I think for the very first audience giggling backstage like oh wait till you hear this now boys (laughs) listen to this Celeste 
So I feel we need to go for a bit of a battle scene now because we talked about the Mouse King and this is the battle music. Listeners, Haz is actually acting out <laughs> the ballet moves opposite. It's very impressive. It's quite moving. So it sounds really military, I think, with the fanfare, like brass, going da, 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 and then you've got the snare drum as well. And I love it when you can hear them all marching on stage to the beat of the music playing as well. And of course, the cannon. There's so much going on in the school. And you can see why I think it was Sir Simon Rattle who said that this is a, a truly miraculous school. You know, because every single scene is the perfect vignette. You know, everything is encapsulated beautifully in the music and Tchaikovsky is so good at conflict isn't he? He is like we were just saying maybe possibly 1812 vibes. Just to explore that idea of conflict though do you enjoy playing Tchaikovsky's symphonies? Love it absolutely fourth and fifth. Fourth and fifth now th- there's a lot of conflict there isn't <laughs> yeah, there yeah. Um, and it seems to me that particularly for you as a string player you have such a busy part there's so much involvement but it's nice to be involved. I'd much rather be playing something consistently for 26 pages of music um, and it be a really gooey tune that we actually get for once, especially as a viola player, than, you know, just sitting and, and listening to a beautiful solo. Because you can appreciate it, but it's really nice to be a part of it as well. And do you enjoy the battle elements to it as well? Oh, um, gosh, yeah. It's it's almost like, you know, who can play louder? But in a nice way, not in an overshadowing way, but it's sort of the sound coming from the back of the sections. And I love the sound of the brass in Tchaikovsky. 
Because the strings are often pitted against either the brass or the wind section in general, aren't they? They're, because there are so many of us, they often, you know, the conductors, you can see them getting really animated trying to get this big sound. And we're like, we're doing everything we can. And there's clouds of rosin coming up and like people are snapping their strings. And the brass are just, they probably get quite annoyed because they're always like, well, brass, play down, please. We need to hear the string sound. That old classic. Yeah. And then you can hear the brass like, well, we should play up then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's dive back into the Nutcracker. And I have here something that I'm sure everybody's going to recognise. It is the Trepak. So once Clara has been whisked off into the Land of the Sweets, there are various different dances, aren't there? Mm. This, though, is a version of the Trepak you might not have heard. So this comes from the arrangement made by Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn of the piece. I actually know this very well. Fantastic. Tell me why. Because the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama Big Band played this last year, the whole suite. And at first, I'm I'm sorry to say that I hated it. And I was really, I was like a Tchaikovsky purist. And I was like really cross that anyone had dared make their own arrangement of it because I thought it was perfection. Leave it alone. But actually now, I love it. And <laughs> How, everything's swung isn't it it's yeah. so perfect I actually love it and I'm really pleased that I've been introduced to it now Nothing like a muted trumpet to get a groove on. But which mute? They have so many. Good question. They always have them all lined up, don't they? Like, really precariously, so if anyone passes them... There's a great sense of pride, I think, in the range of mutes a trumpeter can have, or any brass instrument, really. Yeah, the plunger mute is the the one that gets me. Like, who first thought, do you know what would sound good at the end of this trumpet? A plunger that you stick down the toilet. And you can just get them from hardware stores. Like yeah, you can just you just take the the wooden bit off, and then that's your mute. And I love the sound of the Harmon mute as well. Oh yeah, very Miles Davis, of course. Of course. Uh, well, what's the equivalent though for non-brass players in terms of kit? You know, I think um, woodwind players—they're always showing off their reeds, aren't they? Oh my god, yes. So oboe players, oboists, is yes, that a, that oboists are always there with a little knife. Just like sat really close behind you, depending on how good a viola player you are. Um, just sharpening something and then like <laughs> cutting wood. and It's like a little carpentry section behind you and it's, it's really impressive. And if, the, if they get the opportunity, they squeak, don't they? Just to yeah. test it, do the perfect duck call. <laughs> yeah. I love um, the sound of a bassoonist testing out their reed because oh. it does sound like a goose. <laughs> I used to share a room with a bassoonist. He was a Finnish bassoonist um, at music college in Weimar. And he would wake me up at 6am just testing his reeds. It was an obsession. But I think woodwind players like double reed. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Double reed woodwind players have this sort of obsession with 
the perfect read and they're always like oh I'm saving this one for the concert tonight so I'll use this one in rehearsal and then I've got this next one that I've just made for tomorrow and then this one I've been playing in but it's not quite ready for a concert you know all these different things that they are you know that you have to be quite um they're quite critical of themselves and of their reads yes there's definitely that and there's almost an element of superstition around it as well yes that's the word I was looking for like superstition thinking I played really well on this in rehearsal tonight maybe I should stop playing on it now so I can play that same bit tonight in the concert and it will sound good I don't know I get that and as a string player what's the equivalent for you oh I don't know like how much rosin you've got on your bow or your shoulder rest setup or the way you were sitting in your chair how many blocks you had at the bottom of your chair um things like Oh, I don't know what strings you were last using. And what kit do you collect, though? Is there an equivalent there? Oh, do you collect always, rosins? Yeah, well, rosins we have, but mutes are usually... I find mutes around my house everywhere. I bet you have sparkly mutes. No, I don't, actually. Okay. No, I don't. Uh, well, <laughs> hint, hint. But no, I, I like having mutes in Got different... That. I'm noting that. <laughs> Christmas <laughs> present. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I think that's it for us. Just, yeah, just bits of rosin, bits of mutes. How many bows do you have in your case? I only have a two bow case. So in each of my, but you can get up to four. I've seen that. Yeah. That's quite extravagant, isn't it? Yeah, but those people are really, they're really good at their job. (laughs) They've got not just the capacity to have four bows, but also they might have one for a different occasion. I have one that if I'm going to be teaching or playing outside, I use that one. Then I have my proper bow, as they call it. Very special. Thank you. Let's go back to the Nutcracker. I think it behoves us. (laughs) Now, without looking on your playlist, Taz, I'm going to test you because you seem to be an absolute expert on the Nutcracker, not just the music, but all the dance moves. (laughs) Honestly, believe me, listeners, she's been there, whether it's Into the Pine Forest or or the Volga Booty. We've got all the moves. The Volga Booty, by the way, being the Duke Ellington term or name for the Trapac, just in case you were confused. So without looking, okay, Okay. um, I'm going to just make sure that you close your eyes now. Tell me which dance this is. Now, it's in fairness, I should tell you, I should warn you that this is not being played on the orchestra, but by the Dallas Brass Ensemble. Well, there's a curveball. <laughs> Do you reckon has? I know it. I'm sorry, but I know it. It's chocolate. It's beautiful. I can't imagine it now, actually, in the orchestral version. It's so perfect when arranged for brass. Is it played by a brass player, a trumpet or something like that, in the orchestral version anyway? 
Oh dear. That it's... sent me scrambling for the score, has. <laughs> I don't know. How embarrassing. Uh, I'd like to think it is, though. It sounds like a trumpet tune, doesn't it? I think so. I just happened across this version, actually, because, as it so happens, the BBC National Orchestra of Wales have done this very version, the, the brass-only suite, and that's how I came across it when I was asked to do some programme notes on it. Ooh. It's fantastic. And another newfound love of mine is the solo piano version. Not that I can play it. It's actually really tricky in parts. <laughs> But I think it's always really instructive, if you can, to listen in to the piano version of any given piece of orchestral music, especially when it's been done by the composer themselves, and then go back to the orchestral full version and do a comparison. Because then you can really marvel at the orchestration and the choices of instruments and, and the magic of that, or the skill and the craft that goes into that. So I thought we'd do just that with a Chinese dance. It's a famous one. Let's have a listen to Mikhail Pletnev doing the solo piano version first. Super twinkly. <laughs> yeah. And while it's fresh in our minds, let's dive straight into the orchestral version with which we're so familiar. Bassoons and flute. What a great mix. You have to get out the glockenspiel, don't you, for something like that? <laughs> Absolutely. You've got fruity bassoons, piccolos, glockenspiels, pizzicato strings again, yep. plucked strings. A lot of fun to play. It is, but I think it's another one that's really hard to keep together and the conductor has to really keep his eye on the stage to make sure that everything is working out nicely. And so that when the dancers finish on the last chord, doo, 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 we're all finishing together and so the audience knows exactly when to clap. I can imagine that's quite an art. Mm. I should have asked by now, actually, which is your favourite dance? Oh, I love the, um, I think it's called Coffee. Yes. Is that the... Very do, smooth. Do, 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 yep. do. Because the violas have a proper part in that. But I also love the Duke Ellington version of that one as well. I think it's really sultry. Also, in the Fantasia version, they pair that one with the animation of a very sexual fish. Do they? Yeah, they do. 
I'm going to go to a pas de deux. Oh, I love this one so much. I thought you would. Oh. I thought you would. And it really surprises me that this didn't make it into the orchestral suite. Me too, actually. Maybe it's just too big and it's too grand and would steal the light of all the other ones. Maybe it make the other ones seem a little bit insignificant because this one is so grand and luxurious. Now, I heard this tale that a friend of Tchaikovsky said, I bet you can't do a dance which is built purely on a scale. And it doesn't matter whether it's ascending or descending, but you can't do it. Just quote a whole scale. And guess what? Tchaikovsky came up with this. so sweeping isn't it and I love how the scales overlap yeah and you pointed out how it's really a very simple harmonic underlay yeah the, for only for the first time when I was listening to this just now I realized it's like the ultimate four chord song and you've got the violas and the cellos who are slowly making their way up with a do do and then you've got the flutes at the top coming down with the G major scale again and it's just beautiful perfectly judged texture isn't it yeah Mm. Only three lines happening at the same time, but in perfect harmony with each other. Um, yes, beautiful. And you can see Tchaikovsky rose to the challenge. I can say I bet his friend felt foolish <laughs> after that. <laughs> Creating that out yeah. of a humble scale. Absolutely beautiful. Well, I hope the listener has been enjoying this, this trip to the bottom of the sweetie box. Have you been? I've loved it. I always love listening to the Nutcracker. Any excuse for me? Excellent. And if nothing else, we'd be puzzling over the difference between, I don't know, Celestas and Celestes, things like that. Plenty to be thinking about, plenty to mull over, over your Christmas period. We look forward to being back with you in February. Uh, but before then, it's time for our Welsh sign-off. Yay! And I think you already know this, to be fair. I think lots of people already do, but maybe they don't have the confidence to say it, just in case they say it incorrectly. But no one really knows how to pronounce anything properly unless you're actually living there or you can see the spit flying out your mouth as you speak Welsh, which probably isn't the best thing at the moment. So let's just try saying Nadole Clawen. Nadole Clawen. A bloy the newydda. 
A bloyen, bloyen, a bloyen nevitha. Perfect, and that is Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And how about I don't know? Enjoy, enjoy your time together. Enjoy. Listen, one simple word for this: joyo. Joyo. Even I can do that. (laughs) Exactly. And listeners, thank you for being on this journey so far. Do have a very happy Christmas and a wonderfully COVID-free new year filled with music. We look forward to joining you again as soon as we can. See you in the new year.